Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. All right, I have a couple of important announcements for you this morning. Are you ready? These are results of divine calls that our congregation extended to one person and then one that was extended by another congregation to our pastor, Pastor Dan. So I have results for you. Anybody interested? All right. I was kind of thinking maybe no one was interested, but I guess you are. All right, let's do Pastor Dan's. No, let's do Pastor Dan's second. Let's do a Mrs. Indulce. Uh, Andrea Indall, we as a congregation extended a call to her because uh, our, our beloved intern, uh, Casey Sauer, is leaving us at the end of this year uh, as head of our children's ministry. And so we extended a call to uh, Mrs. Andrea Endall, and uh, I am pleased to announce that she has accepted that call and will be becoming our new children's minister and head of Crosswalk Kids. She is going to be phenomenal, I cannot tell you. Um, God allowed us to knock it out of the park with that divine call. All right, secondly, drum roll please, Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan, all right, he returned his call to the congregation there, which means he's staying here and will continue. Yes, we're pretty excited. All right, there's almost a standing ovation. One person stood. Uh, we love Pastor Dan. We're so excited that, that he is staying, and it is going to be phenomenal for our church. So, And that all leads into the, the third and final part of this leadership moment. As you know, for a long time, and one of the big reasons we, we want to get great people on our staff is we're moving forward with uh, buying some land and eventually putting up our own church, and it's been a long time since I gave you a report from the stage. Now, there's really not anything of momentous substance to report to you today, but I still felt like it's a good idea to let you know where we stand. So where it's at is, we have some final details to iron out with the purchase of this land, and they are really kind of small details like parking agreements with the commercial corner that's at 59th Avenue and Baseline, uh, drainage agreements with the golf course and the commercial corner, and uh, our amazing board of directors has been working on that and continue to work on that, and once those details are ironed out, and, I, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it's only going to be a, another month or two, uh, God has already allowed us to have uh, the funds that we need uh, in the bank, they're just waiting there, thank Thanks to his generosity and yours, and we will complete that purchase. So here's my ask for you today. Since we are so close to purchasing that five acres of land, to which we hope eventually to add another three acres, will you just keep this in your prayers and help us iron out these final little details and, uh, and, and allow us to purchase that, that land, because then we can get going on the next phase, which is the building phase, all right? There's your news for the day. 
You know, in light of the fact that uh, we as a congregation have had to save in order to, um, to, to be able to hope to purchase our own land, and then uh, eventually uh, we'll need to save again to build a building, this is a great message for us as a congregation, but I think it's also going to be a great message for you uh, individually. So pull out your crosswalk notes, and uh, we'll be starting in Proverbs chapter 21, but before we do that, I, w- I want to uh, just tell you, you know, one of the reasons I'm excited that Andrea's accepted the call, that Pastor Dan is, is remaining, is why I do what I do, why I love getting up here, why I love doing the individual coaching that I do during the week, go to all the meetings for Crosswalk, and that is, just take a look at the front of your program. What's that word on there? Breakthrough. There's nothing I love more than to see Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit work in people's hearts and minds to create a breakthrough in life, a breakthrough that I know is going to last them, not just for the remainder of their life, but literally for eternity. And that's why we do what we do. I know it's why Pastor Dan does what he does. Uh, One of the beautiful things about Pastor Dan and me is we're we're different in our personality, but our hearts to see breakthroughs in people's lives because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the empty tomb, for both of us, that desire for a breakthrough for you is one and the same. And that's why, why we called this series Breakthrough is because we know that one of those areas where many of us could use a breakthrough is in the area of the personal stewardship of the finances and the stuff that God has given us as a beautiful gift on top of things like forgiveness of sins, eternal salvation, all those beautiful spiritual blessings, God blesses us many times over with physical blessings too. And he wants us to manage those blessings for his glory. Out of gratitude for all that he's first done for us. As a way of showing our return love to him for first loving us. So the, the beautiful part of this is when we do that, that's when the breakthrough comes. And, and, and it's interesting because sometimes it's not, it's not big things that create breakthroughs. Sometimes it's, a, it's the change of a little thing and bringing it into the light of God's wisdom and, and, and changing it just a little bit. Let me give you an example. Would you like it if I could give you another $125 per month every month to spend or invest, or save, and it wouldn't cost you anything except a little bit of time. On average, I could give every family in this room $125 more per month, and it, and it, and it just starts by asking one simple question. What do you think is the main thing in the landfills of our country? Now think about it for a moment. Is it all that paper and cardboard that you throw away in the recycle bin? Do you think the number one thing in the landfills of our country is the plastic that everything comes wrapped in and contained with? I don't know what, I don't know what your front yard looks like on the day when they do bulk trash 
pickup, but half of our front yard is filled with lawn trimmings and branches. Maybe it's all of that stuff that's the main thing in landfills. What do you think? Anyone want to guess? Anybody gotten their phone out yet and and, uh, looked it up on Google? I'm going to show it to you. Here it is. Do you see what that is? It's food. Do you know that of all the food produced in the world today, fully one-third, this includes all the poor countries, one-third of the food that we produce in the world today goes to waste. Isn't that an incredible factor? Imagine if we could take the, it's, it's literally billions of tons of, billions of pounds of food. Imagine if we could take that and give it to people who were hungry. What, what would happen then? How transformational that would be. Now let me ask you a question. If in the entire world, one-third of the food goes to waste, what do you think it is in the United States of America? Do you think it's more than a third or less than a third? You guys are so good. Let me put up a slide. 40%, almost half of the food produced in the United States of America goes to waste and is in our landfills. It, our landfills are, we always talk about, you know, auto emissions and things like that is hurting our environment. The number one thing that hurts our environment are the greenhouse gases that are released from the food that we let go to waste. Now, remember I said that I could find a way to save you $1,500 a year, $125 a month? Do you see that number right there? Per capita, $1,500 a year is spent on food that goes into your garbage. $125 every month. If we could somehow figure out a way to stop the spoilage and the waste, we'd have $125 more every month to do what we like with that money. Now, you know, $125 a month maybe doesn't sound like much, $1,500 a year, but I, I did a little factoring with that. If you're 30 years old today, and you would commit today to figuring out how to not let your food spoil and not put it in a garbage can and send it to to the landfill, and you put that money instead into into an index fund, which just follows the market, and let's say you got a modest 7% interest on that $125 a month, you just put it in savings every month, and and you did that from age 30 to age 60, that would be $141,000 just from not spending money on wasted food. Now, I haven't talked yet about fast food, which is, by the way, one of the areas that also wastes a lot of food. It's not just us in our homes, but fast food restaurants throw away tons of food. But... On average, each, each American, each individual American, spends $1,200 per year on fast food. 
Now, if you added the 1,200 from the fast food to the 1,500 from the waste and then put that into a savings account, you could have well over $300,000 in 30 years. B, a third of your way toward being a millionaire. Just from reducing the little things that we do that really wouldn't cost you all that much if you were willing to pack your own lunch instead of grabbing something at McDonald's. Now, why do I share that with you? Because I think that in reality, there are more ways than we might imagine to save a little money. And, and, and God has given us the wealth, the financial wealth that he's given us so that we can manage it, as I started this message by saying, to his glory. And maybe the question in your mind right now is, why should this matter to me? But I want to take you back into the Bible now to a young man, 30 years old, that's why I use that number, and his, and his name was Joseph. And he was, he was not having a good life. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his own brothers. He had been falsely accused of rape by his first employer in his new country where he was enslaved. He was in prison. He helped a couple of guys while he was in prison. All he asked was, remember me when you get out. One of the two did get out and totally forgot about Joseph. Two years later, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, had a dream. And in that dream, he needed an interpretation. And the guy that Joseph had helped in prison, he had helped him with the interpretation of a dream. He remembered Joseph after two years. And Joseph was called to the palace. Does anybody remember what that dream was about? Pharaoh saw himself standing on the edge of the River Nile. And he saw these seven gleaming, fat, sleek cows come out. And then after that, what did he see? Anyone? Skinny cows. Horribly skinny cows. What did the skinny cows do with the fat cows? Ate them. And then to make sure, to make sure that Pharaoh got the message God sent him a very similar second dream. This time, uh, it was stalks of grain, very fat, full stalks of grain, and then followed by skinny, withered, dried up stalks of grain, and they also consumed the fat stalks of grain. So Joseph is called in. He interprets a dream and tells Pharaoh, look, God is showing you what's going to come up here, Pharaoh. We're going to have seven years of plenty in Egypt. Now, everything was driven by the Nile in Egypt. So this meant that far up the Nile, there were going to be rains and everything was going to be nice and the Nile would flow full and, uh, and, and, and everything would be wonderful. But then after that, there would be a drought, there would be a famine, and there would be very little to no harvest in the land. Joseph said, you need to appoint somebody who's wise and experienced to help you manage this situation. And Pharaoh, I think as many of you know, 
turned around and said, well, apparently God has given you some wisdom and experience and you're very young, 30 years old, but he's given that to you and I'm appointing you. I think Joseph could well have asked, what does this have to do with me? He could have been a very angry 30-year-old young man. As I think maybe many of us would be, feel like he had been betrayed, become bitter, and go, what does this famine have to do with me? I'm not helping you. All I've ever gotten out of Egypt is suffering. And now you want me to turn around and help you? Forget about it, Pharaoh. But Joseph saw something here. Joseph saw that there was a tremendous opportunity for him to serve and bring glory to God by simply saying to Pharaoh, let's save ahead because a disaster is coming. Why should you care? The same reason that Joseph cared. Not, not just that it was good for him because it meant he could get out of prison, but more so because, A, he knew that, as he says later to his brothers, many people will be saved if I do the job that God is offering me here. And number two, more people can come to know about God through my service to him through Pharaoh. That's why all of us need to be interested in a message like this. Because I'll be honest with you, it might not necessarily be a sin if you don't have a savings account right now. Things happen in our lives. Things that are not in our control. But what I can tell you is if you have no plan to save, then you are clearly working outside the wisdom of God. And I want to show that to you by having us look at Proverbs chapter 21. So take a look at that first passage. It says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Do you see those words? Here, the author, Solomon, says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's wise people and there's, there's fools. People who are wise store things up. They save ahead. They store up choice food and olive oil, but fools just consume everything they've got. They live hand to mouth. If you want to hear something interesting, the Wall Street Journal did a poll recently and discovered that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That means, you know, count down the aisle if you can. Seven out of ten of us are living foolishly right now. And only three out of ten of us are living within the wisdom of God. Gallup did a similar poll and they found out that 68% of Americans could not handle a $5,000 emergency. Now, do you know how quickly a $5,000 emergency can hit you? This last week, we took my wife's car to, uh, to, to the garage to get an oil change. When he tried to open the hood, the little cable inside snapped. He couldn't get to it very easily. So he had to have his mechanic spend several hours figuring out how to dig that 
table out just to open up the hood so that we could do a simple oil change. One day later, we walked away. Now, you know, you can go get an oil change for what? 30, 40 bucks? If you have a good friend, he'll probably do it for the cost of the oil. We walked away with a $500 bill given to our mechanic so he could fish that cable out. See how quickly that can happen? And it can happen to you. It could be medical. It could be family things coming up. Your air conditioner could go out. Look, summer's coming. Anybody here want to volunteer to live without your air conditioner for a summer season? Bam, it can happen like that. And 68% of us can't handle that $5,000 emergency. Look at this passage. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools live paycheck to paycheck. That's what it says, basically. Now, let's go on. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. Now let me show you what's contained in these passages. You can write these fill-ins in as I, as I do this. So first of all, wise people build up savings. Fools immediately devour all they have. I already held forth on that point. But I want you to look at verse 21. And verse 26, do you know what question that's asking you to ask yourself? What am I pursuing? What am I pursuing with my life? What am I trying to go after? What's my purpose in life? And you can write this. What am I pursuing with my life? Am I pursuing more? If you look at at verse 26, all day long he craves for more. If your whole life is just about, I got to build up more stuff, more money, bigger accounts, so that you can feel like you've got an identity. Look, I know who I am now because my checking account has this number on it. Or so that you can feel safe and secure in life, you'll never get there. Is your whole life just about getting more? Or are you pursuing, as Solomon says, righteousness, and love. Then you read the next verses, 22 to 24, and I will encapsulate those. Basically, it's asking this question. Do I want to be a person? Am I willing to be a person of self-control? Notice it. One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. You have to guard your mouth, though. You have to... Keep close watch on your tongue. That's self-control. And if you do it, you'll keep yourself from calamity. You got to keep control of your heart. Proud and arrogant people, mockers, behave with insolent fury. You got to keep control of your emotions. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. You got to keep control of your work ethic. In all of these areas, what Solomon is saying is, 
being a person of self-control will bring you freedom, will help you. A lot of times when we think about self-control, we think, oh, I'm just going to get so locked in if I have to be self-controlled about everything. What Solomon teaches over and over again, read the very end of Proverbs chapter 5. I won't quote it to you. I read it in my daily devotions this week, and it was really clear. He was saying, If you will practice self-control, you will be free. If you refuse to practice self-control, you will be a slave to your cravings. Self-control equals freedom. And I want you to write that down. Am I willing to be a person of self-control? Do I believe that self-control equals freedom? Obviously, you're never going to have a savings account if you don't have any self-control because you're going to be living paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. Third question in this passage is, do I choose to be a servant to my purpose, which is to love and glorify God? Or do I choose to be a slave to my cravings? Am I an impulse buyer of everything I want? I don't, I don't just mean when I'm in the supermarket and I'm there by the checkout stand. I mean, every time something comes up, am I just on impulse Oh, I crave that. I want that. And I go and do it. Do I, do I, let's get real practical. Let's start some nudging between spouses here. (laughs) Before I satisfy a craving, do I check it out with my spouse? If I don't have a spouse, do I have some sort of, as as Dave Ramsey suggests, accountability partner where I go, you know what, this is more than 100 bucks, 250 bucks, whatever you and your accountability partner, you and your spouse have decided, we're going to talk about this before I pull the trigger on this big screen TV, much as I crave it, right? I've, I've, I've seen husbands come home having pulled the trigger on a brand new truck without ever having talked to their spouse about it. I don't know if that noise is, oh yeah, it's happened to us. Or if it's, oh my goodness, that would never happen here. I don't know what that means, but I'm telling you, you want to put, push the pause button and talk to somebody before you just satisfy your cravings. That's what Solomon is saying to us here. Okay? So don't be one of those 70%. Now, here's the real truth. We can talk about habits, but we got to talk about habits of the heart first. Because when Solomon comes in and talks to us in Proverbs, he's talking about what you do with your hands. But when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I want you to teach people about the habits of their heart. Because if we can get the habits of the heart changed, we can probably change the the habits of the hands, right? So look at what Paul writes to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So what do you think is the key word in there? Key words. Godliness. What are you pursuing again? Are you pursuing more? Are you pursuing God? But godliness with contentment. And in pursuing God... Have you trained your eyes? That's what contentment is. It's really asking you the question, have you trained your eyes? Because I'll tell you, an untrained eye always finds the thing that somebody else has that I don't have. That's what the untrained eye does. The untrained eye 
loves to look at what I don't have. But the trained eye looks at what I do have, the blessings I've already been given. Many of you know that this this past week, my mother-in-law passed away and she's in heaven. And it's been a difficult week for our family because obviously this Rosemary is her name. She was the hub of our family. And we know she's in heaven. In many ways, this is an act of God's grace and mercy that he took her now. But this woman, I I was 16 years old when I started dating Julie, my wife. From day one, she welcomed me into the home that, that, that they had made. And imagine, you're, Julie's 15, I'm 16. Most parents are going to be pretty protective. And I'm not saying they weren't protective, but I'm telling you, they made me feel like their son from day one. And, and to the very last days of her life, if I would, if I would put a, a word Together, do, you know, if you said do word association, Rosemary Walker, my, my, my word associations would be gratitude and joy. Just a couple months ago, she walked out onto the back porch of our house and she looked down and she said, oh, this is just so beautiful. I can't believe how incredibly beautiful this is. Everywhere she went, she, her heart was just filled with gratitude. Gratitude at all that God had done for her because she's a Christian. And gratitude for all the many blessings, especially blessings of family that God had given her. You know where that comes from? From eyes that have been trained by the Holy Spirit to look at the blessings we've received instead of all the things we don't yet have. She had her eyes trained by the Holy Spirit to just go, I am so grateful for all that God has given me. And I loved that about her. She always made me feel like I was one of the greatest blessings in her family. So, guys, I'm telling you, this works. And it doesn't just work for this life, it works for eternal life. I have no doubt that through faith in Jesus Christ, Rosemary is in heaven today. And that's, when we talk about breakthroughs, brothers and sisters, that's the breakthrough that I want for you, that Pastor Dan wants for you. When we stand up here and talk, for you to know Jesus, not just as the one who provides all these earthly blessings, but Jesus as the one who provides for you many, many heavenly blessings. And therefore, when your eyes are trained to look at all those blessings, you're like, what more could I ask? If you've been in our growth groups, you've heard Dave Ramsey uh, say this, if you've ever listened to his program, he answers almost every, every time someone calls and he says, Dave, how are you doing today? Do you know what the answer always is? Better, thank you, better than I deserve. And isn't that true for all of us? Because of our sin, <laughs> do you know what you deserve, what I deserve? So anything more then God's wrath and condemnation and eternal death in hell, which is what we truly deserve according to the scriptures, is, is pure, wonderful blessing and icing. We, we can all answer that way, better than I deserve. 
So godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I just heard a saying this week, on funeral shrouds, there are no, anybody know how this ends? There are no pockets. On funeral shrouds, there are no packets, pockets. You're not going to take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know what Jesus said? Jesus Jesus said it's harder for a a rich man to go to heaven than it is for a, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. You know what's interesting about that? That is all about the heart. You know why? You think Joseph, who we talked about after he hit age 30, didn't become extremely wealthy and yet remained faithful to God to the very end of his life? What about his forefather, Abraham, one of the wealthiest people that ever lived, completely blessed by God in a physical way, and yet, if you go to St. Paul in the New Testament, do you know how Abraham is held up? As a great example of a man of faith. So it's not, wealth is neutral, saving is neutral, it's about the habits and the attitudes of the heart, right? For the love of money, there's that attitude. It's not money, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Flee from it. Notice we, we started with pursue. What are you pursuing? What are you going after? Paul says, when you see your heart starting to crave more physical wealth, start running and run the other way. Don't pursue it. Run away from it. And pursue, here's what you should run toward. Righteousness. Pursue Christ's Righteousness. Because Jesus lived a perfect life for you. And and he wants to give that to you. He wants to give you his report card. And say, here, when when you get to the door of heaven, they say, how did you live? Show them my, that is Jesus' report card. Here's how I lived. Wow. Right? That's awesome. Pursue that. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. All right, write this down. Pursuing more leads to discontentment, which leads to greed, which leads to ruin. Pursuing more leads to discontentment, which leads to greed, which leads to ruin. Pursuing righteousness leads to contentment, in great gain, you could write down after that eternal gain. Turn the page. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Underline those words, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you know why, it's, why wealth is so uncertain? There's two reasons. One, just because of, of the way our world works. 
Did you know that every year since 1900, there has been a dip in the stock market of at least 10%? And that dip, that correction, as the financial people call, call it, almost always lasts about two months, and then the stock market starts to go again. Now, it's called a bear market if it lasts longer than that, and that comes along on average, anyone know? Every five years. So, so it's been eight years since the last bear market. We're long overdue at this point. But can I tell you, another bear market is coming. Because you can look and you can see the history of it. I don't know when it's going to come. It's going to come. And if every year the stock market drops at least 10%, the average is 14%, what can you predict? Probably this year, if it's happened every year since 1900, it's going to dip again at some point during the year. A lot of times we don't take the time to just understand, easy come, easy go, right? The air conditioner at some point on your house, maybe not this year, maybe not next, but it is going to go out. I can promise you that from personal experience, <laughs> right? Your car's going to need repairs. Stuff is going to happen. That's the uncertainty of money. But here's an even bigger part to the uncertainty. The uncertainty of the money is really the uncertainty of our heart. True story. A guy was invited to a breakfast of billionaires and hundreds of millionaires. And he's seated at this breakfast table with this guy who is, he's, he's a, a, a billionaire two times over, more than two times over. So he's like two billionaire. He's talking to a guy who's a hundred millionaire and several tables over, there's a guy that has made $18 billion. And all this guy that has $2 billion can do the entire breakfast is grouse about the guy that, that made $18 billion. Like how did that blankety blank so-and-so make $18 billion? I don't get it. I don't know how I can only have two billion. He has 18 billion. And this guy's going, really? Like, he, you have a problem with only having two billion dollars? Whew. See, that's our heart. Adolf Merkel in 2008 was the richest man in Germany. He had $13 billion, owned this vast pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing business, very successful, not just hundreds of employees, hundreds of thousands of employees. In 2008, you know what happened to the market worldwide, his wealth went from $13 billion down to $9 billion. It all happened because he, he, he couldn't get a loan to create some liquidity with all of his many uh, business entities. And so he lost a lot of money from that. Do you know what he did when he went from 13 billion to 9 billion? He wrote a note and walked in front of a train and killed himself. He still had $9 billion. But when he dropped from 13 billion to 9 billion, he became the number third most, most rich person in Germany. And his whole identity was tied to being the number one richest person in Germany. 
Now, contrast that to Chuck Feeney. Chuck Feeney? Have you ever gone through an airport? You've never heard of Chuck Feeney. Does anyone here know who Chuck Feeney is? Be amazed. Chuck Feeney is a billionaire many times over. And the way he became a billionaire is he started those airport duty frees. Like he was one of the first ones in that. He made $8 billion. Now, do you know what he decided to do with his $8 billion? He set up a trust and he said, before I die, I want to write a check that bounces. I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to give it all away. Three months ago, he gave the last of it away. It took him a long time to give away $8 billion, but he gave $8 billion away. Now, what's the difference between Merkel and Feeney? The attitude of the heart. This is why wealth is so uncertain, is that we don't know what it's going to do to your heart or mine. And so we have to be very careful. Right Write this down. Wealth is uncertain. Wealth is uncertain. What is certain is this. Now let's go back up. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world. That's how certain this is. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Do you see those words? Freely given? The riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us, that he's, going back to the top, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you see that? Can I tell you that when we talk about breakthroughs, here's where it starts. It doesn't start with creating a savings account. You're not going to create a savings account until you believe you are free from your need that you are safe and secure, that your identity is a known factor. I'm a dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Nothing can change that. When you believe that you know your identity, you know your eternal destiny, you know what the last page on your book says. When you believe that Jesus Christ has given you all this and will take care of you, certainly physically, but that he has already taken care of every spiritual need you have, forgiveness, the power to to, to live through a breakthrough in your life and change things by the power of his Holy Spirit. When you believe that God is right now, Jesus, as he promises you, is right now preparing your eternal home in heaven. When you believe that, it's amazing the freedom that it gives you. The freedom to practice self-control and go, I don't have to spend it all. I can save some. Because Jesus has got my back. He went to the cross to have my back. And God gave him the victory of resurrection to show that he's got my back. 
My sins are forgiven. Eternal life is mine. Whatever happens here doesn't matter because I'm going home to be with Jesus, just like Rosemary. Because of all of God's grace to me. That's what Paul is saying here. Grace that God has lavished on me, on you. When you're confident in that, you have freedom. And that allows you to change the habits and live in God's wisdom. Write this down. Wealth is uncertain. What is certain is God and his grace. And the life and immortality that Jesus won for us. So in that in that freedom, in that truth, let me just finish up by saying having enough is not going to come from the lottery. It's not going to come from the next get-rich-quick investment. It's going to come from just building a new habit of setting aside a little bit, making sure that you're stopping the waste Imagine that you could just stop that waste we started this message talking about. And and taking that instead and let it build up little by little by little. Remember I said just, just the two of not so much food waste and a little bit less at the fast food restaurant and over 30 years you could have $300,000. That'd be a pretty nice little nest egg, wouldn't it? And that's exactly what the Bible says is wisdom. Take a look. Dishonest money dwindles away. Another way of translating that would be fast money. Fast money dwindles away. We've seen it with lottery winners many times over. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. And then we're also encouraged to diversify. It's put in ancient terms, but that's really what it's saying. Ship your grain across the sea, take Take some reasonable risks. After many days, you may receive a return if you're willing to be patient. Invest in seven ventures, yes, and eight. Spread it around a little bit. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So write this down. At the end of the day, saving is about patient habit building rather than get-rich-quick schemes. Living in Christ is the secret to this. Can Can I end this message by saying, I believe that right now we are living in the time of plenty. We're living in the time of the fat cow. If you compare what we've got now even to 2008 what our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents had during the Great Depression, we are absolutely living in the time of plenty. Can I just encourage you to take a look at those last two passages in the light of the freedom that you have in Christ and, and adopt this breakthrough habit of saving little by little every week, every month, every day, and let it build up. And then you can use that wealth to God's glory for the extension of his kingdom and to help yourself and your family. It works. God promises it'll work. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we pray that 
that you would grant all of us first and foremost the breakthrough that is a breakthrough away from our sin, our guilt, and shame. Lord, we recognize this whole, this whole area of wise money management, good stewardship is an area that can create a lot of shame and guilt in our hearts. We've all made mistakes here. We've all committed sins. We've all let our hearts at times be, be filled with greed and started to pursue uh, our desires. But Lord, help us now to flee those cravings. Help us to repent of all of that and help us to put our trust and rely on you. You are certain wealth is not. And Lord, as we do that, help us to wisely understand the benefit of saving ahead for those things that are going to come, and also so that we can be a blessing to your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I just want you to walk away today with this, this single thought. Am I going to live in greed or am I going to live in gratitude? And, and really, the secret to that is just one thing. Is Christ going to live in my heart or is he not going to live in my heart? Because I'll tell you, if Christ lives in your heart, it's going to be gratitude. It just is because of all the wonderful things that he has given you in his love. So live with Jesus in your heart. And that's where he wants to live inside of you, making you aware every day of all the many blessings he's given you through that cross. Let me send you out into your week with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.